look in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And if you're able, we'll stand as we read the word of the Lord to give honor to our God and to his holy word, if you're able. Luke 10, starting at verse 17. This is God's holy and infallible word. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord, we pray that you would help us to rejoice that you have revealed yourself to us through your Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and faith to believe. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to begin by asking a question, what gives you joy? What truly gives you joy? That answer is different for different people. Uh, for the musicians here in the church, maybe joy is playing an instrument or singing to God's glory. Um, you put me behind a piano and that will not give me joy, it'll be horrible. Well, other people like growing things, and other people can't grow worth a lick. So some people have joy in gardening and growing the wonderful plants that God has given us, and other people get no joy in that whatsoever. Our joy sometimes is dependent upon what gifts and graces that God has given us in, in certain things, what talents maybe we have. But there is a greatest joy as Christians that each of us can all share in. And that is salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll look a little bit at that great and wonderful joy mentioned here in today's text. Look a little bit earlier in the chapter 
9, verse 12, a little bit of context of what's going on. Um, in chapter 9, actually, um, actually 9, verse 1, actually, he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Here Jesus is training in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 1 and following. He's training and sending out his apostles, his twelve, for the work of ministry, and he's allowing them to do the sign gifts of casting out demons and to perform healing and to proclaim and to preach the Holy Gospel. But as we get to chapter uh, 10, we find out that he's sending out, or he has sent out, the 70. Uh, look at chapter 1 of chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He begins with twelve, and then he has seventy. sends out those seventy, and then now we have a, a multiplication here of a greater number of laborers going out into the harvest, but it's still not enough. We are to pray that God would send out yet more into the fields and to gather in the harvest. As we look at today's text, the main focus is that God has given you many reasons to rejoice. God has given you many reasons to rejoice. And we'll see this in two main points. We'll see that Christ delegated his authority and secondly, we'll see that you are to rejoice in your salvation in Christ. Let's look at this first main point. Christ delegated his authority. Notice first how the 70 returned to Jesus rejoicing. They were sent out, and in verse 17, they returned. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to to us in your name. To be subject to someone is to be put under them, like a submarine goes under the, under the water. They were placed under the apostles. The apostles put the demons in subjection because they were casting out demons. And they went to Jesus rejoicing, saying that even the demons, the, the spirits, or subject to us in your name. And this Jesus here, we see in today's text, Jesus sent out his 70, giving them powerful authority. As verse 17 says, he gave them authority over demons in Christ's name. Notice they didn't have the power in themselves. They didn't have the authority in themselves. This was a delegated authority that was given by God himself, the God-man, Christ Jesus himself. Think of an ambassador. When you have an ambassador who goes about representing the United States, he's representing the United States as a delegated authority that can speak on behalf of the United States, but his authority is not his own. His authority belongs to those who sent him. The authority given to him is delegated. 
And in, in the same sense here, these seven, 70 had a delegated authority from Jesus Christ. Jesus and the disciples had the demons in subjection, and this is evidence that Satan's kingdom was being conquered. And that's why Jesus said this in verse 18. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, there's been a wide variety of interpretations of this, but I would try to say what is safe to understand. Is that before the coming of Jesus, most of the world was in darkness and unbelief. Most of the world was in paganism. The only light of hope of salvation was given to one special chosen people, Israel. And that special chosen people, Israel, were given the light of salvation as they looked forward unto the Messiah to come. But then after the coming of Christ, the gospel is spreading to every tribe, tongue, and nation as evidence in Pentecost. People from uh, all languages and tribes came together and heard the preaching of the Holy Gospel. Not only heard, but they believed. And even, we say, when Israel was given the light of salvation, they didn't do such a great job as following God and living up to that holy calling as the people of God. Now, Christ here further explains the authority that he gave to the disciples in a passage that some, again, misinterpret. Verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Before we go through an explanation of this, I want us to look at a parallel passage. Look at the previous gospel, Gospel of Mark, at the end of Mark. Uh, we'll, we'll start at verse 15, actually. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. No longer is the gospel limited to the, to the promised land of Israel. It's going out to the whole world. He who has, been, uh, who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has believed, who has uh, disbelieved, he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay. Both in Luke... It talks about treading over serpents, and in this passage it says that um, they will pick up serpents. Now, that has led to a very strange practice in states such as West Virginia, Tennessee, and the Carolinas of people in certain Pentecostal churches handling snakes as part of their worship. Uh, I was noticing it was, it's not only rattlesnakes, but sometimes copperheads. They haven't tried the black mamba or the, um, the uh, king cobra, 
maybe because it's uh, extra deadly. Um, but not only that, but I, I was noticing that some of the, these churches were in the practice of drinking strychnine poison during the worship services. And I believe it's because of a misreading of a passage like this. Uh, there's one pastor named Pastor Mark uh, Walford. He was bitten by a rattlesnake that he himself owned that he had for some time. And he died 11 hours later because he refused medical help. The sad thing was that his father also died handling a snake in church when he was only 15 years old. Yet they continued on with this practice in the churches. And both uh, Pastor Mac and his dad saw this as a way of testing their faith. If you really have great faith, see if you can grab this rattlesnake during worship. And I, I was watching a video of some of the worship services with praise music. They're hopping around, and while they're hopping around, the snake is bouncing around. So not only just holding it in a gentle fashion, they're shaking these things around. Wow. Wow. There's a couple of answers uh, for this. And the main answer, I would say, is that Jesus told Satan when Satan said, If you are truly the Son of God, get up on top of the temple mount, the highest pinnacle of the temple, and cast yourself down, and the angels will uphold you and protect you, and you will not dash your foot upon the stone. He's, he's citing one of the Psalms, I believe Psalm 91. So he's testing Jesus. Well, isn't this the same kind of fashion? If you truly have faith, grab a snake or jump off a cliff and see if God saves you as a test of your faith. But in, in the case with Jesus and in the case with, with snakes, rattlesnakes and such, um, Jesus cited this, and this should be our reasoning behind not doing this practice. Jesus cited Deuteronomy 6 when he said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Another answer um, to this particular passage is that a lot of these signs were fulfilled even during the New Testament era. Uh, the new tongues spoken at Pentecost um, were given at a time, we can say a partial revelation, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and 9 says that these, this partial revelation was given until that which was perfect, which I believe is the Word of God, the complete canon of Scripture, came. Then the partial revelation was done away with when the Holy Scriptures was given. Another passage in Acts 28, when Paul gets stranded on the Isle of um, Malta, he's picking up firewood and an adder bites him. When the adder bites him, no harm happens to him whatsoever. You notice Paul didn't purposefully pick up the adder. He didn't intentionally pick up a poisonous snake. It happened by accident. And I think that's a key thing to understand that we don't intentionally do that to test the Lord. But those things were fulfilled even during the New Testament era. But another application for this is to understand that really Jesus is speaking in a way that's figurative concerning the serpent of old, even Satan himself. In Romans 16, 
20. Paul gives a glorious benediction to the church there in Rome, which is also for you, saying, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. As the body of Christ, we will tread upon that serpent of old and his kingdom even until the gates of hell are broken down. The gates of hell shall not stand against Christ's church. Yes, I would say there are reasons to rejoice that God has given us a church that's not going to fail, but a victorious church that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But Jesus really says that they have a greater reason to rejoice. The main reason to rejoice is given in verse 20. Let's look at rejoicing in your salvation in Christ. So speaking of that authority delegated to the 70, he says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice in what? That you have authority over the spirits, over the demons. That the spirits are in subjection to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. You should be happy if you're enrolled in Sunday school. You should be happy if you're enrolled in maybe, maybe a kid enrolled in vacation Bible school. Um, you should be delighted that your name is enrolled as a member of a church. But the most important thing, the absolute most essential thing, is that your names are enrolled in heaven. Your names must be recorded in heaven to have salvation. This passage, uh, this, this idea of a book of life is mentioned in Revelation 21. We're told that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life shall enter that new Jerusalem. Only those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And then he says earlier, he says, those who do not have their name in the book of life will be cast into a lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, something called the second death, or we could say the eternal death, an eternal dying for all eternity, torture for all eternity for those who do not have their names written in the book of life. Now, there were many scholars, many wise men, scribes, Pharisees, and others who thought their names were written in heaven, and they thought they had God's approval, but they actually didn't believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah because it was hidden from them. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, At that time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing in your sight. 
Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. John chapter 1. Even those who were trained in the scriptures, who studied the scriptures diligently, didn't receive Jesus as their Messiah. They considered themselves learned and wise in the things of God. Their names, uh, their names would have been written in the book of life if they were truly wise and enlightened, if they had true spiritual understanding of the Old Testament prophecies and how they were fulfilled in Jesus. The problem was that they were wise in their own estimation, but not wise unto God, unto salvation. Jesus says he revealed these things to babes. You have to come before God as a little child, humble, willing to submit your mind to the things of Christ, willing to bow down before God and say, Lord, help me to understand. I believe, but help my unbelief. And submit not to what you think, but submit to what this says. You have to submit to what Scripture says. In God's sovereign plan, the Son had not willed for those wise men, the Pharisees and scribes. He had not willed for them to receive saving faith in Him and in His gospel. Verse 22. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. This is the doctrine of election, which teaches that salvation is of the Lord. If you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because you're smarter or more worthy or deserving than your unbelieving neighbors. You are a Christian because God opened your heart to receive and believe these things. Because the Son of Man revealed Himself to you and who His Father is. We have to pray that God would reveal Himself to those who do not believe, our unsaved loved ones and neighbors and friends. What Jesus said next to his believing disciples applies to you as well who believe. Verses 22 and, I'm sorry, 23 and 24. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Blessed are your eyes, because you have seen Jesus in these scriptures. Blessed are your ears, because you have heard the gospel taught and preached. And you have received what was taught in the holy gospel, that Christ revealed himself. Your spiritual sight and your spiritual hearing is a gift from God and his sovereign hand. 
The prophets of old, Isaiah especially, looked forward to the Christ yet to come. They, they looked back, they looked forward, we look back. They looked forward to Jesus, but they saw him dimly in types and shadows, kind of like looking through murky water. They didn't quite see him. But those who were present here listening to Jesus, listening to him preach, seeing his miracles, they saw him clearly. And for us who have been given the Holy Scriptures, we see the full, complete picture of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. Kings like David, and Hezekiah, godly kings of old, they looked forward to Christ to come, but we look back and we see him more clearly as he's revealed to us. And I, I know this sounds strange, but it's, I, I do think we even have a greater privilege because we are given a greater revelation than even those who were standing with Jesus at this time. Because we have been given even more of Holy Scripture telling us the riches of who Jesus is than even they had at this time. We have a great blessing of a full revelation of the person and work of Christ in the completed Word of God and Holy Scripture. The saints who were present with them would have delighted to read something like the book of Hebrews. They would have been ecstatic to read the glories of other portions of the New Testament that had not yet been written at this time. Again, brothers and sisters, God has given you many reasons to rejoice. As the body of Christ, you can rejoice that Christ has delegated unto the church His authority, that you have authority that you will soon, as the body of Christ, crush the head of Satan under your feet. You can rejoice in your salvation of Christ, in Christ. Don't just rejoice that God has given you victory over the evil spirits. Rejoice in this, that your name is recorded in heaven. How do you know that your name is recorded in heaven? You first have to confess your sin and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus Christ has died for my sins, that through him, that you would wash me clean of my sin and that you would grant me salvation through your, your son. Luther called this the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin but he gives unto us, he accounts unto us, he reckons unto us his perfect obedience and righteousness that we can stand in the sight of the Father on that great day of judgment. That is the only way. Only through the perfect work of Christ, he is the only way in the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. By confessing him as your Lord and Savior, you can know that you have your name recorded in the book of life. Let's pray together. We do ask, O oh Father, that you would help us, each and every one of us here, that we would confess that you are the way, the truth, and life, that we would confess Jesus Christ 
as that only way that we would confess that He has died for our sins, He has risen for our justification, and He is exalted to your right hand as our great high priest. May it be that you give us saving faith that our names would be written in that book of life. Help us to believe and to trust and to receive these things that you have taught us in your holy gospel. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For a hymn of dedication, let's stand and sing 433, Amazing Grace, 433.